What is up, people, and welcome to episode 96 of the New Ice City Podcast. I'm your host, Vincent McCogliano of the USA Today Network, and we have a lot to talk about today on Wednesday, January 11th, the day that we are recording. First of all, our guest this week is going to be Chris Peters of flowhockey.tv. Chris has been on here, I think, at least two times prior. He's definitely one of my go-to prospect guys, one of my favorite prospect reporters to follow. He just came back from covering the World Juniors, which we haven't had a whole lot of time to talk about so far, and there were quite a few Rangers prospects to keep an eye on in that tournament. Of course, headlined by Brendan Othman, so we're going to get into all of that with Chris on this week's show. Also going to pick his brain a little bit about the debate that's been ongoing for weeks, months, years, whatever you want to say, with Alexi Lafreniere and how his development has been coming along. So lots of good stuff coming from Chris. Have a lot of other stuff to get to as well. The Rangers, remember the hockey team that we talk about every week on this podcast, they have won four of their last five. So things are going pretty well for the Rangers right now. That includes... Tuesday's shootout win over the Minnesota Wild. It felt like, and I wrote this on Tuesday night, it felt like a lot of the overtime and shootout situations that the Rangers have found themselves in this season have not turned out well. And those things, as Adam Fox put it on Tuesday night, it's a crapshoot. It's a skills competition. It's not a real hockey game. So it's kind of a, a funny way to decide things. I mean, I find it entertaining. I love watching the three-on-three, and even the shootouts, I think, can be fun. So it's cool, but it's not the best way to gauge which is the better team, of course. So the Rangers, they already had seven overtime-slash-shootout losses through the first half of the season, and they were able to finally get a result coming out on their side against the Wild. And I, I thought it was a really, really entertaining game, a really skilled game. And this is something that has been increasingly standing out to me about the Rangers. We harped so much in the first two months of the season about their five-on-five offense, or lack thereof. But if you look at the numbers across the last 16 games, and this 16-game sample size is, I think, the, the key stretch for the Rangers of this season. We've talked before about that turning point in early December when they lost that ugly game to the Blackhawks and Jacob Truba threw his helmet and he was upset after the game. And ever since then, things have been going much better for the Rangers. They're 12-2-2 in their last 16 games. I think anybody would sign up for a record like that. And if you look at the offensive numbers, especially the five-on-five stuff, because the power play has been very hot and cold, but the five-on-five offense in the first two months of the season, 26 games to be exact, I wrote about this in the midseason report that I had go up online on Monday, so if you haven't had a chance to look at that, we dive into a lot of different stuff in the midseason report. Team MVP, LVP, Team strengths, concerns, most improved player, biggest surprise, a lot of stuff. We could probably end up talking about that on the podcast, but I'll let you guys go read it if you haven't had the chance yet. But in that story, I noted that in those first 26 games, the Rangers were averaging 1.8 goals per game at five on five. Not a great number, definitely near the bottom of the league 
as far as that is concerned. Since then, during this 16-game stretch where they've gone 12-2-2, the Rangers are up at over 2.5 goals per game at 5-on-5 as an average. 1.8 to about 2.6 is a pretty significant leap for them. And a lot of the guys in the team and head head coach Gerard Gallant have all talked about puck luck and they were hitting so many posts and crossbars and seemed to be just missing on a lot of these scoring opportunities that they had earlier in the season. And there is some truth to that. But you also have to look at other ways that they're being successful now and other reasons why they're being successful. And I just think overall they felt more threatening, at least more consistently, during this last month or so when they've picked things up and the results have followed. And you look at that game against Minnesota, 43 shots on goal. I think Natural Stat Trick had them with 25 high danger scoring chances. It just felt like even though it was back and forth and Minnesota had some quality chances of their own, and I know that those kind of games are not Gallant's favorite. I think he prefers more low event, simple hockey. But it's encouraging to see some of these star players for the Rangers, some of their high-end talents, whether it be Adam Fox, who, if I'm going to reveal anything about my midseason report, I can tell you guys, to me, he was the pretty obvious choice as team MVP so far, and he was outstanding in that game on Tuesday night, whether it's him, whether it's Panarin and Zibanejad, or look at Capo Caco and the way that he's taken off in the last few weeks. Look at the kind of season that Philip Heedle is quietly putting together. Look at Keandre Miller, who I can give you guys a little teaser. I'm working on a story about him right now because I think his game is really popping recently. So all of these different guys are contributing. And it just feels like the skill that at times you wonder, where is it? Why isn't it showing up more often? Well, recently, we're seeing a lot more flashes. Where I wouldn't even know if you can consider them flashes because it's happening more consistently now. And after the game, Artemi Panarin was probably my favorite conversation that I had on Tuesday night. I included a lot of this in my story and I tweeted some of it. He was joking around and calling it Russian-style hockey, but the point he was trying to make is that we need to be able to let our skill shine. We need to have the confidence to open things up every now and then because being able to score is ultimately going to be what they need to do down the line and in the playoffs. We saw, especially with Panarin, it seemed like he was really bottled up in the playoffs last season, and everybody was wondering why wasn't he being more productive? Was he trying to play too much of a north-south game and getting away from doing the dynamic things with the puck that make him special? It's this ongoing balancing act for the Rangers, and it's something that Gerard Gallant harps on all the time. Panarin's a guy, and you see it. He causes a lot of turnovers. He causes a lot of odd man rushes the other way, and you certainly want him to cut down on those mistakes. You don't want him being too loosey-goosey with the puck all the time. But on the other hand, you don't want to tamp down what makes him such a good player. So he is the extreme case, but I think it applies to the entire lineup in a lot of respects. And you just want to see all of this high-end talent that they've assembled. You want to see them flourish. And I think what we saw in that game against Minnesota, and I think what we've seen more and more recently, 
is the Rangers opening things up. It creates a little bit of a back and forth game. And sometimes that's not going to work to their benefit. You can look at the game against New Jersey on Saturday. The Devils are faster. Some might even argue more skilled team than the Rangers. And I think that those are the teams that I would worry about the most if I'm the Rangers, because if you're going to get into that fast paced back and forth kind of a game against a team like the Devils, that might not work out in your favor. The Devils have beaten the Rangers two out of three times so far, which they did again on Saturday. So that would be a concern. We've talked about the team speed element and needing to add more of that. But it wasn't good enough when the Rangers were struggling to score at five on five earlier in this season. They were losing quite a bit as a result of it. They just weren't giving Igor Shosturkin enough support. So it's encouraging that you're seeing more of that now. Again, still questions to be answered here. You still have to worry about can they get into a toe-to-toe back-and-forth matchup with some of the best teams in the league. I think that is very much a question for this team moving forward. But overall, they've scored at least four goals in five straight games, and the offense seems to be showing a lot of signs of improvement. We're going to get a lot more into the Rangers' recent play, I'm sure, in this episode. But there is quite a bit of news that we have to get to from Wednesday as well. Top of that list is Chris Kreider, who we now know confirmed will be out for Thursday's game against the Dallas Stars. The Rangers sound hopeful that it will be a short absence. Gerard Glant said he doesn't think it will be a long-term thing. I think there's a definite possibility that he will return to the lineup Sunday when Montreal comes to town, but he will miss at least one game with an upper body injury. I'm pretty sure it came from a hit that he took from Marcus Foglino in the third period on Tuesday. I've seen people say that it looked like he was favoring his arm or shoulder after that hit, and and they are calling it upper body. So we'll see how long this ends up keeping him out. Again, he's definitely out for Thursday. So what does that mean? Well, number one, you're losing a, a guy who's one of your top goal scorers. But number two, as far as the lineup is concerned, Alexi Lafreniere, Gerard Gallant was willing to confirm, and we saw it play out this way at the end of the game on Tuesday as well. Lafreniere is now going to step in and play on the top line with Mika Zibanejad and Capo Caco. On one hand, this is a huge opportunity for him, not just as far as playing on the top line, but Gallant also said Lafreniere will fill Kreider's spot at the net front on the top power play unit. And I do think that deep down, Gallant is hoping slash trying to maybe will it into existence that getting this kind of an opportunity will spark Lafreniere in some way, shape, or form. The healthy scratch that we saw a couple weeks ago in Tampa did not have the desired effect, I don't believe. I think that they were really hoping that it would light a fire under him and that they'd see some instant results after that. It hasn't quite been that way. He had a really good assist in the game against New Jersey. A nice pass to Jimmy Vesey that resulted in a goal. But other than that, you haven't seen a whole lot from Lafreniere since that scratch. So I think the scratch didn't work out the way that they were hoping for. And now I think Gerard Gallant is wondering if maybe going in the opposite way will end up creating some kind of a spark 
and waking Lafreniere up. But with all that being said, it's hard to see him sticking there. Again, they're they're framing this as a short-term absence for Chris Kreider, and you would think that if he only misses a game or two, that he's almost certainly going to go back into his top-line left-wing spot when he comes back. I don't see them demoting Kreider because of an injury, unless, I guess, Lafreniere is absolutely lighting it up on the top line. So I would hedge it with that. I don't necessarily see this becoming a long-term thing, at least not right now. I know some people are hopeful, it seems, that maybe Lafreniere will take this opportunity and run with it, and then he'll be in the top six. He'll actually prove to the Rangers that that's where he belongs. But with Kreider only being out a short amount of time, I would sort of expect the Rangers, once he's healthy, to go back to the lineup that we've seen. So it's a little bit of hesitation there on my part. Now, Lafreniere moving up, it did spark, I thought, a very interesting conversation with Gerard Gallant on Wednesday. We asked him several questions about Lafreniere and got some pushback. And I thought this quote was one that stood out to me. We've talked a lot before about usage and comparing Lafreniere to other top picks. And, you know, a lot of those guys, Jack Hughes, whatever, whoever you want to talk about, right when they came into the league or shortly after coming into the league were put into the top six for their respective teams were played a lot more frequently on the power play than Lafreniere has been. That's something we're going to talk about with Chris Peters in a little bit. Gallant, without even us bringing up the usage specifically, said this today. He doesn't get the same opportunities some kids get as the first overall pick. You can blame that on me or you can blame that on Quinny. He's talking about former Rangers coach David Quinn. But we've got star players ahead of him. We're trying to win games every night. That's what our job is. So you get what he's saying here, right? Panarin and Kreider are blocking Lafreniere at left wing. Panarin and Kreider are both better players than Lafreniere right now, highly productive players, all-star level players. And their presence in the lineup is what has prevented Lafreniere from playing in the top six as much as you might expect in year three for a guy who was taken number one overall in the draft. But here's what I think Gallant is missing. Because he keeps coming back to this notion that keeping Lafreniere down in the lineup is the best thing for the Rangers as far as winning games is concerned. But my counter to that would be, don't you think that doing everything you can to help Lafreniere reach his potential will be in the best interest of building not just a winner right now, but a sustained winner, a team that can win in the long haul? Now, I know Gallant isn't necessarily thinking about the long run. He wants to win as much as he can right now because he wants to keep his job, quite frankly. He wants to he wants to be around for as long as he can. And to do that, the Rangers need to have success this season right now. So you get where he's coming from to some degree. But whether it's in a left-wing spot or moving to right-wing, which Gallant has repeatedly said he's reluctant to do and isn't as comfortable doing, Playing Lafreniere in the top six, seeing if you can unleash this potential, because right now no one would deny it. Gallant didn't deny it today. Nobody would deny it that he hasn't met expectations, that it's been somewhat of a disappointment from him so far. If you can unlock 
that potential and that skill and that ability that resulted in him being drafted number one overall in the first place, that is going to make the Rangers a better team. And playing him down in the lineup has not worked so far. I get the wanting to see him earn it, and you're going to hear Chris talk about that as well. That is a valid point that I think some fans are too dismissive of. But ultimately, you got to figure out some way to develop this guy and make this guy at least close to the kind of player that you were hoping he would be when you drafted him. And if you can unlock that potential, the Rangers are a better team and the Rangers are going to benefit from it. They will win more games because of it. So that is the thing that I think kind of gets lost in this conversation with Gallant because he always brings it back to, well, he's playing down in the lineup because we want to win. But winning for this team is going to mean getting the most out of a lot of these young guys. And to get the most out of a lot of these young guys, you might have to play them with better players. You might have to put them on a line with guys who are productive and guys who fuel their confidence. You might have to let them get some easy points on the power play. All of that stuff factors in. And I think with Lafreniere, as well as others, you could point to it and kind of wonder why they haven't had more opportunities. Again, you get it. You can look at the depth chart and, and you see Panarin, and you see Kreider. It doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out why Lafreniere has mostly played on the third line. But something's got to give eventually if you're going to get the most out of this kid. And we'll see. Maybe Thursday night's game is, is the first step in that direction. I know it's got a lot of Rangers fans talking right now and certainly was a big topic of conversation on Wednesday. Now, a couple other quick things. Julian Gauthier is fine. I spoke to him after practice today. He came out of that game on Tuesday with an upper body injury that he suffered in the first period. Didn't play the rest of the game, but he practiced in full on Wednesday. He seemed absolutely fine spoke to him after practice. He sounded like he has every intention of playing on Thursday night against the Stars. I think given what he's been through and given the fact that he had such a hard time holding down a lineup spot for years in New York, you would have to pry him out of there to make him not play. He does not want to relinquish what he has right now, which is pretty much a regular lineup spot. Give him credit for that. A lot of people actually reached out to me after my my midseason preview or my midseason report came out this week because for the most improved category I wrote, that was probably to me the toughest one to pick. I ended up picking Capo Caco just because I think if you if you think about where he ended last season as a healthy scratch in game six against the Tampa Bay Lightning to where he is now, where he is quite clearly the best right winger on this team and seems to be flourishing in that top line role, that to me is the biggest jump, the most improvement. I could definitely make a case for Philip Hedl, but remember, he finished the season really strong last year. I could definitely make a case for Braden Schneider, who I think has been awesome for the Rangers and taken a lot of positive steps this season. But some people were like, hey, you didn't mention Gautier, and I guess maybe I should have because he has been a much improved player for the Rangers this season as well. So I would expect him to be in there on Thursday. And then the last note here is, is Jake LeCision. I'm fairly certain I'm saying that right. I checked in before I started recording to make sure I was. Jake LeCision was claimed by the Rangers on waivers from the Vegas Golden Knights. It's honestly not the most exciting move the Rangers could have made. Obviously, the Knights decided to put him on waivers, so they didn't want him on their roster anymore. And the Rangers swooped in 
to claim him. I totally get those who are questioning the move. You can look at the numbers, whether it's the the regular stats, zero points in 22 games this season, minus seven rating, or the analytics, which quite frankly look really bad for him. None of that looks good. So it's a head-scratching move from that standpoint. But I would counter by saying this is really not a very big deal. It's an extremely low-risk move from the Rangers. There's really no downside to it. And I checked in just to find out, you know, what do they like about him? I was told, number one, he's young, 23. He was a second-round pick a few years ago, so they feel like there's a little bit of upside there. Not top six or maybe even top nine upside. I think they view him potentially as a fourth line center option. This is a guy who's almost exclusively played center. His faceoff win rate is over 50% this year. I was told that they view him as a good defensive player and a PK guy. They think that if he were to play, that he could definitely be used in a PK role. And I think you kind of lump him into that category with Johnny Brodzinski, Ryan Carpenter, Gustav Ridal, these guys are defensive-minded, fourth-line type of centers, and they're all in that, whether you want to call it Greg McKay, Kevin Rooney, a lot of these different guys that we've seen the Rangers use in that role in recent years. I think they're just stockpiling as many of those options as they can, and they want to see who rises to the top. So, What this means for a guy like Brodzinski, it could mean that he's going to get sent down. You would assume that claiming Lecision, now they can put him on waivers and try to get him to Hartford, but because they just claimed him, I have a feeling he'll stick around on the roster for at least a little while. And for the Rangers then to eventually get down to 22 players, I think they'll wait until Kreider is healthy, but eventually they'll want to get back down to 22. Someone will have to get sent down. Maybe it's Brodzinski. Maybe it's somebody else. We'll see, but they view him again as a low risk move. His salary is, is really cheap. He's just a little bit over the league minimum. I think he's seven sixty six thousand. So a cheap contract. He's under team control for two and a half years. I think they just want to see how it plays out and see if maybe they can develop him a little bit and, and make him a guy that, that fits in either as an extra forward or maybe as a fourth line center for them. So. Listen, I don't have a whole lot to say on it. You know, we'll see how it plays out. Again, I get the questions because if you look at any numbers, it certainly doesn't look great, but we'll see how the guy actually looks on the ice. I can't tell you that I've watched a lot of him play, so I don't have much of an opinion on that. But to me, again, low risk, cheap, giving them more options as a potential fourth line center. And I think that they're hoping that, you know, maybe there's a little more in the tank than they saw out of him in Vegas. And he'll go into that competition with Ridal and Brodzinski and Carpenter. So that's where it stands on that. All right, now let's get to our interview with Chris Peters. And then after that chat, I will get back to you guys and answer some of your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome back to the show one of our favorite guests to talk about prospects with. He's going to help us get the rundown from the recently completed World Junior Championships. That would be Chris Peters. He's a senior content creator for FlowHockey.tv. You guys have seen his work before previously, I'm sure, with ESPN, Daily Faceoff. He's been in a lot of different places. He's definitely been on the podcast before. So, Chris, thank you for coming back and welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Vince. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, no, I appreciate you making the time. I know it's been really busy for you recently. We we talked about maybe doing this last week, but then I think it became pretty clear waiting till after the tournament was over would probably work best with your schedule. So I appreciate you carving some time now. And there's quite a few Rangers prospects to talk about in this tournament. It, it felt like at least when I like, you know, a month or two in advance, I'm kind of thinking, well, the Rangers had a lot of interesting guys in the previous tournament. You know, maybe this year, obviously, people will be looking at Brennan Othman quite a bit, but they ended up having a handful of players who I think caught people's eyes in a variety of different ways. We'll, we'll get into all of them, but I think we should certainly start at the top, and that's with Brennan Othman. Most people would consider him the top prospect in the Rangers system right now. We ranked him number one over the summer. He plays for Team Canada on their top line. I think it was six points in seven games, and he gets his second gold medal in, in less than a year. So I guess... Did you learn anything new about Brennan Hoffman? Do you have any takeaways or anything that you observed from him in this tournament that you think would be fun to share with the audience? Well, you know, I, I think it's really interesting how players that played in the summer event grew in just a few months in terms of their role, how they played, their impact. And I think that Othman is one of those guys that just took a significant step forward from what he was in the summer. Now, granted, you're playing with older players and now you're kind of on the other you're on the other side of it as one of the guys that, you know, that 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 the team is expected to lean on. And the thing that struck me about his game wasn't so much necessarily the offensive abilities that he showed. It was just how how aggressive he was on the forecheck, how physical he was throughout the tournament. Um, you know, the fact that he's he's not a massive guy, but he's he he's sturdy, he's strong, he's very competitive on pucks. So his play off the puck, I thought, was just as impressive as his play on it. And then, you know, to be a top of the lineup player to play, you know, over 15 minutes a game or, you know, closer to 18 minutes a game where you're getting a lot of opportunities. He had a lot of shots on goal. He's one of the shot shots on goal leaders uh, for Canada. I actually think he was like third behind the top two scorers on the team. So, you know, he had, he had an impact in that way as well, where he was, you know, being a threatening player throughout. So I think all in all, that's a really positive tournament, you know, to have six points on a team where the majority of the scoring was coming from one person. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty good. It's, it, and I, I, I also think that the, the growth and development that he showed, even from the summer tournament, um, that's what should be most encouraging to Rangers fans. And I think he, it shows his versatility that he's not just a scorer, that he's not just a sniper. He can play a very competitive, well-balanced game. And, and that's a very good thing for a player with his offensive skill. Yeah, it's interesting that you bring up the stuff away from the puck because I, I do think that's going to be a big part of what he has to prove to the Rangers if he's going to be a realistic option for them next season. So you've seen enough growth in that area of his game, it sounds like, where especially when you talk about the forecheck, we know he's an aggressive player and he's willing to be physical, but like, do you see him as a guy at the next level who can play a forechecking role even if the offense isn't going to come for him right away? I think, you know, I think it'll be tough at the beginning just because he's still getting stronger. You know, he's he's like I said, he's not a massive guy, but he's certainly, you know, he has the physical strength. He's continuing to get stronger, you know, and, and he the fact is, is that he's always going to have that competitive drive. I mean, that's probably one of the most important things is that he will he has the willingness to do it now. You don't have to train him to do it. You don't have to make him do it. It'll just be tougher to do it effectively for the first little while here until he kind of gets up to both NHL pace 
and the NHL physicality. It is a big step, even from the world juniors where it doesn't feel all that far away from the NHL, but it is in terms of physicality. It's still a pretty significant margin that he's going to have to make up um, physically. Uh, So, yeah. So, I mean, if, and that's, that's going to be the thing. It just kind of depends on what kind of role he can carve out for himself early on, what kind of positions he's put in, because, you know, there's, it doesn't have to be right to the NHL. I mean, I think if we've seen anything with some of the young Rangers players, you know, time in Hartford and time, you know, time at the, at the AHL level is, is a good thing for a lot of guys. And, and I'm not necessarily certain that he'll jump right into it, but he definitely has the competitive edge and the willingness to do the work that I think will at least give him an opportunity to, to challenge for a spot next season. Yeah, I think that's a great point you bring up because when I went up to visit with Hartford last month, their coach, Chris Knobloch, made a point of saying that, that you know, the, the issue has never been being too patient with guys. If anything, when they've run into some problems in the past, it's when they try to move guys along yeah. too quick too quickly. So, you know, especially for a guy like this who, you know, the questions going into the season for him were what benefit is he going to get from going back to the OHL? Because he wasn't old enough to go to the AHL this season. He had dominated the OHL last season. So I guess the concern was, would the development be a little stagnant at the OHL level? It sounds like you're seeing enough growth and progress to be encouraged, but also it it might be a situation where maybe he's not necessarily NHL ready right now. The AHL might be a stepping stone for him. It sounds like is what you're saying as well. Yeah. And I, and I, I, I always, I never thought that he was over the OHL either. You know, like I, I think that he had a really good season last year. He certainly had the the production, you know, he's gone into Peterborough after the trade this year, he's been a little bit over a point per game, you know, not bad. And then he goes to Canada and we'll see kind of how he is once he comes back. But, you know, I, I think that um, you, you do want to, you, you want to err on the side of over marinating. You want to, I think we've just seen too many times. And I mean, the Rangers are experiencing this right now with some of their young core players or guys that they were expected to have as their, as their core um, where, you know, if you go too too much too soon, it's hard for those players to catch up. Whereas if you kind of go through the natural progression, and I think a guy like Othman is going through it right now, he wasn't NHL ready. He wasn't old enough to go in the, into the AHL. So now you get, you send him back, you give him some more time. He has the opportunity to be a dominant player, to be a top of the lineup player, to have a lot of the puck touches, to have gone to the world junior championship, to play a prominent role for Canada in a, in high leverage games, high leverage minutes where he's out there in some of the key moments of the game. All of those things are beneficial to him. And on top of that, you know, not, not trying to force it when he's still just, you know, 19 and, or not, he just turned 20, you know, basically he'll be 20 at the start of next season. You know, that it's still pretty young for the NHL. And I know that we see a lot of these young guys ascend quickly, but, there's got to be a process to it. And I think that he's still very much in the process. So often was obviously the headliner as far as Rangers prospects go heading into this tournament, first round pick in 2021 pedigree, all that. It's interesting to me though. Some of the other guys who you saw getting recognition were, were later draft picks for the Rangers. And the guy that I think we need to go to next played for that Czech Republic team that took second. They took the silver they played Canada in that championship game. And that's Yaroslav Melash. 
I hope I'm saying that right. Chris was trying to help me with the pronunciation before we we started here. It looks like Chemlar, but apparently it's <laughs> Malash. He was a fifth-round pick for the Rangers in 2021. He had five points in seven games for that Czech team. Big kids listed at six foot four, almost 200 pounds. So as far as what you saw from him as a guy that was a late round pick, but maybe is coming on a little stronger th- than people thought, or, or am I, maybe did I miss it before? And was he already positioned to be one of the checks better players for this tournament? Well, I think he, I think he was positioned to be, you know, kind of one of the more important players because of the size, because of the fact that he is, um, you know, he, he's kind of a, a ready-made middle six kind of player. Um, and, for him, you know, he's he's had a solid season at Providence this year. Doesn't necessarily fit the profile of the of the typical Czech player because not many of them go to the college go the college route. Uh, but you know, he actually went in a in a completely different path than most of his peers, going through Finland first, going through their junior ranks, and then you know he did play in the Summer World Juniors. He also played in the Under-18 Worlds a couple of years ago when we started to see this group really start to come together. Um, and that was the first time I saw him was at that Under-18 World Championship. And you know the things that jump out are the size, and I think there's a, there's a real intelligence to his game. There's an aggressiveness to him. He's physical. He's hard to knock off pucks. And so I think what we saw in this tournament was just that next step in the progression for him where he's finding out how to be a a more offensive player where he's, you know, being I I thought that because of players like him, the checks matched up better with Canada than they did with, you know, than than most of the other teams matched up with Canada. They had size. They had some pushback. They had guys that could play with enough pace. Like he he moved pretty. He moves pretty well for a bigger player as well. He's not necessarily fast, but he gets where he needs to go quickly enough. And he closes on pucks well. And he's good on the wall. And he and he's a battler. So you know, I think that what he showed at this tournament was he's he's just continuing on that progression. Like he's he's probably going to be a bottom of the lineup player at the NHL level. You know, maybe contribute some offense, but probably a lot more of a, a PK. You know, kind of matchups kind of player. And that's you know, teams still need that. They need they need those big guys that can can get in the way. And and he's at a great place to to learn how to play that way. Because I think Providence has done a phenomenal job of developing kind of some of those bottom of the lineup guys that can be, you know, relied upon in in these high leverage situations where you know your team needs a stop or you need to you need to get the puck, you need to be good on the forecheck, those types of things. So I think he's uh he's one of those guys where he's never gonna be a star, but he is he he is on track to potentially playing a you know a depth role at the next level. And he's a guy that you just kind of are going to have to be patient and wait for because he's still kind of growing into his body and into his game. If you can get that out of a fifth round pick, that's a pretty good spot to be in. I I just looked at his stats with Providence this year. He's got 10 points, six goals, four assists in 18 games. So again, not a, not a huge scorer, but developing into a pretty well-rounded player. And he did have five points in seven games at the world junior. So he's a guy whose name was coming up quite a bit in conversations I've had in the last week or so, because people did feel like he opened some eyes at this tournament really quickly, just quick hits. I don't know if you want to talk about all three or, or if there's one guy that jumps out to you, but the, the Rangers had other prospects who were involved in the tournament Callie Vassanen is a fourth round pick from 2021. He's also a six foot four winger, kind of similar build to Malash, it sounds like. He he played for the Finland team. And I believe that he was named at the end as one of their three best players. Like they kind of award, mm-hmm. I guess, their three stars for the tournament for each team. So he was a big player for Finland. Adam Sakora, Rangers fans are very uh 
excited about him. It sounds like he was their second round pick in this past draft. We know about him, energetic, big four checking kind of a guy, a really pesky kind of a player. He played for the Slovak team. And then this guy, I think was a surprise, at least to me that he even made team USA, but Noah Laba, he only played in one game for them. So obviously not a whole lot to judge as far as the kind of tournament that he had, but even the fact that he's in the mix now as one of those guys who made the cut for team USA, I think says a little bit about his development as well. So I don't know if, you know, you have any thoughts on any of those guys or if there, if there was maybe one in particular that jumped out to you. Yeah. Well, the first, I mean, we'll, we'll start with Kelly Weissman and I, I think for him, um, the, you know, he, he played well in the tournament uh, on, you know, he was one of the three best players for Finland. Unfortunately, that's not really saying a whole lot. Finland was dreadful in this tournament. Maybe one of the worst performances I've ever seen from a Finnish team here. Don't uh, let Capo Kako hear you say that because he was excited <laughs> before the tournament. I'm sure he was. They were not good. Um, and uh, and they, I think they underachieved as well relative to that. But yeah, but I mean, you know, he, he that's a guy that impacted the game at both sides of the puck. You know, he played... Played really aggressive. I, I mean, of those of the three that you mentioned, I mean, Adam Sikora had the the most impactful tournament. Um, you know, when he was on the ice, they he wasn't necessarily going to be the the t- the top line scorer for this team. That was they they relied a little bit more on Dalibor Dvorsky and you know they, they, their back end. They expected a lot of offense out of their defense as well, which they did get some. You know, from guys like Simon Nemec and uh, Maxim Sturback and a couple other guys. But I think what Secor did was he showed, you know, he plays with pace. He's tenacious. He's hard on pucks. He makes it really difficult. I mean, Slovakia was a goal away from eliminating Canada in the corner finals. They were a goal away. They went to overtime. They had every reason to believe that they could have, uh, you know, been there at the end. They almost won their group, which would have been a first for Slovakia as well. And Secor was a huge part of that because he played – they didn't have just one line. They had other lines and his, his line was always a threat with the speed that he played with. And then as far as Noah Laba goes, I think coming team USA expected him to be part of their 23 eventually kind of got outplayed in the, in the, in the stage of the last stages of the camp, because I think they were really expecting him to be their fourth line center. He ended up getting to the bronze medal game because Tyler Boucher was hurt. So he was an injury replacement. He only played about 40 seconds in that game, but the, but you're right. The fact that he made the team and the fact that he deserved the long look that he got based on his play at Colorado college is a very good thing for a player that, Probably not a lot of fans had a lot of expectations for even coming out of the draft. I mean, he was committed to Colgate around the draft, ends up flipping his commitment to Colorado College, and he's been a very impactful player for a team that's overachieved a bit this year. Um, So that's a really good thing. So don't judge his world junior so much as what he's doing at Colorado College because what he's doing there is is very impressive for his this, this stage of his development. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about a non-Rangers prospect here, but it's a guy that everybody's been buzzing about since this tournament was going on and now that it's ended. And that's Connor Bedard, who absolutely dominated, was was amazing to watch for Team Canada, is now well positioned to be the number one overall pick in the upcoming NHL draft. Just how good is this kid, especially when you put <laughs> it into perspective of like, you know, all the great prospects that we've seen in recent years. I mean, is he the best since Austin Matthews? Is it, is it even, I mean, can you kind of, put it into perspective for fans here it's it's hard to because we've never really seen anybody do what he's done um you know 23 points at the world juniors he's the fourth it's the fourth most points ever in a single world juniors most ever by a u18 player most ever by a canadian i mean 
we kind of ran out of things to say throughout the tournament. You know, you had some of these really just incredible moments across the entire event. Um, you know, he had 13 points over two games between the Austria and Germany games. And I don't care that they were Austria and Germany because not that many people have scored seven points in a single world junior game before. It doesn't matter the opponent. I mean, Peter Forsberg had 10 against Japan. So, I mean, you know, there's that too, but you know, I, I think that the, the, the fascinating thing about Connor Bedard is that every time we think that you can't, he can't do any more than he's done. He just does. Um, you know, his first game back in the WHL after the world juniors, he had six points, including four goals. I mean, like this is, it, it, he is special. So to put it in context, I would say, yes, he's definitely the best prospect since Austin Matthews. But I think even, you know, going back to McDavid, I don't think he's going to have a Connor McDavid like career, but I do think that we're talking about maybe one of the best goal scorers to enter the draft since Alex Ovechkin. Um, and, and he's just an incredible natural goal scoring talent. But on top of that, he's highly competitive. He's continuing to round out his game. He is incredibly intelligent um, as a hockey player and just has an understanding of how to, you know, what his capabilities are and how far he can take them. And I think that that kind of like that combination of self-awareness, hockey sense, and elite skill um, make him one of those really, really special players that we're, we're going to see make a significant impact at the NHL level. So I'm excited about him. Um, I think that anybody that's, you know, towards the bottom of the draft or to, towards the bottom of the league standings right now has to be excited. And if you're close to the bottom of the standings, maybe you should try to be worse because <laughs> uh, I do think that he has franchise changing potential. Um, you know, I don't think he's going to be at that McDavid level, but I do think, you know, if he's at even if he's at the Matthews level, that is a significant, um, you know, significant changing of the franchise. And I think we could be talking about one of the great goal scorers to enter the league. The Rangers, I don't think will be in that conversation to draft him, but this is a good transition to the last question that I want to ask you. And that is this. It's been a, a big topic of conversation among Rangers fans this season, the development of Alexi Lafreniere, who, of course, the Rangers, when they did have the number one overall pick in 2020, selected. He was pretty much the unanimous top choice in that draft. I, did, I didn't really hear from anybody who thought that he shouldn't be. I, I guess a couple people, maybe Quentin Byfield, they would have thrown his name in there because of the upside potential. But I, I believe you were on that list of people who had Lafreniere ranked number one in that draft. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I do want you to maybe remind people because you talk about Bedard and compare him to guys like Matthews and McDavid at the time that Lafreniere was coming out. I mean, everybody thought he should be the number one overall pick. He certainly has not met those expectations as far as what they were pre-draft yet. But I also don't think that anybody or most people at least saw him at that high, high level of the McDavid's and the Matthews of the world. So as far as a just reminding people what the scouting report was when he was coming out and b what you make of his development which this year in a lot of ways has kind of been stagnant and disappointing what's your overall assessment of this situation with him yeah it's it's really tough i mean and you're right i was one of the the many people that had lafreniere number 1 in the draft here i mean you look at him and you know the the things that he did he he had a tremendous world junior championship he you know he was he got injured and came back and still you know was was the mvp of his world juniors leading canada to gold you know average over two and at like 2.15 points per game at the qmjhl level which was the highest since uh crosby and drewen had you know similar you know they were a little bit ahead of where he was um the one thing that like we 
we, I remember doing an exercise over the course of the season. People were asking me like, you know, where does he rank? And like, you know, we had Jack Hughes go the year before, you know, where is he in that? And I, and I had him slightly behind, you know, Jack Hughes. Now we're seeing what Jack Hughes is doing superstar in the league. And, and, and but it did take him a little while to kind of get going as well. The, I think the important thing to remember with Alexi is that that the, his entry into the NHL was unlike anybody's has ever been before. He had his season cut short, his draft season cut short, came into a shortened NHL or a delayed NHL season. So he had many months off and then they didn't send him to the world junior championship that year, which I was like, I get it. You know, you don't want to get him hurt or anything like that. However, that might've been a nice on-ramp to his first professional season. Hindsight's 2020. It's not fair to hold the Rangers to that standard. But it is something that we think about now and saying, oh, maybe that could have. I just think that 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 has set him back. And then there were other opportunities, potentially. Like teams are so afraid to send their best players down because of what it says about what they did and like they all the pressure. But I think I think sometimes it needs to happen. And I think for for Lafreniere, it's it's almost to the point where it might be too late now. And you're saying, okay, well, how do we get this back? Or is this going to be a situation where we have to trade him or something like that? I I don't know. But what I will say is going back to his draft year, a lot of the signs were pointing to him being a an impactful NHL player. He wasn't going to be McDavid level. He wasn't going to be, you know, I didn't even think he was going to be at the same kind of level of impact as Jack Hughes because he doesn't skate like that. He doesn't have that dynamic skill set. He was more, you know, his competitive edge, his ability to play physical on top of having offensive skill were all the pieces that kind of put him into that category. And so Without that dynamic element that we, we we just haven't seen a lot of at the NHL level, it's going to be hard for him to live up to that standard and live up to the number one billing. Now he just has to be, find a way to become an effective NHL. Or once he can do that, then he can take the next step to trying to become a star again. But I just think that there, there are going to be some steps that he's going to have to take developmentally. Um, and maybe reset, and maybe that means a new, a new, uh, a new environment to do it in, or maybe it means you know trying to hit the reset button another way. But I think that there's still time. I don't think that he is a guy that should be given up on. But I do see that there. Are, I, I think that some of the some of the circumstances that led up to this year, and we go all the way back to you know losing time in his draft year, losing you know starting that NHL season late, maybe not having their best on ramp to an NHL career. That's where I you know you you can't re- reverse history, unfortunately. So now how do you reset? And I think that's the challenge for both the Rangers and Alexi because it's on him too. He's got to find a way to to make it work. So uh, we'll see where it goes. But it's a very interesting. Um, case study and just drafting development and everything else, because I certainly thought that he had star potential. It's it. The interesting thing that you've touched on a couple times in this interview is, is the patient approach and what what's the best on ramp into the NHL. And, you know, sometimes rushing guys or letting them over marinate is the better way to go in a situation like him though, because this is what fans ask a lot usage time on ice how much power play time are you getting like the rangers have mostly used him in a third line role he's gotten extremely limited power play time because they have the panarins and the criters and the zabana jazz of the world so i mean to you from what you've seen from many different prospects over the years 
How much of a detriment is that? I mean, how much should these guys be nurtured? How much do they need to get used in those key roles to help build their confidence and help them grow? But then how much is force feeding them that kind of stuff, you know, and not necessarily making them quote unquote earn it, which I know is a big thing for a lot of coaches. Like, you know, how how do you kind of strike that balance, I guess? And do you think that that might have hurt him? Yeah, you know, the thing that I've learned in the years that I've done this is the NHL is not a developmental league. And it is not a place where you can just throw a guy into a top six situation and expect it to work. Um, and it's not, and I agree, you have to nurture, you know, you, you have, there, there has to be a level of development. There has to be putting in a, a player in position to succeed. You know, we, we saw it even with, with Shane Wright this year, it was kind of almost like history repeating itself. And now he's back at the junior level. I think the, the thing, this whole Lafreniere situation is, one of those things where it's like it should be a really good case study for why some players should be exceptioned into the AHL as well. Yeah, yep. um, I think that's I think that, you know, going back, most players going back to junior is going to be just fine. I think he was a player that was so far beyond it already that, you know, he but he wasn't ready for the next step. And those tweeners are the guys that kind of get lost in the mix. We've seen it happen with a number of players over the years that I thought were really, really good. Um, so for Lafreniere, I think you, you do have to try to nurture that, but I, I don't think if you have to strain to get him into the top six, if you have to, and, and, and if you do put him in there and he doesn't perform, there has to be some alternative. And for the Rangers, unfortunately, there really wasn't aside from playing him down the lineup. Now, I still think there's value in playing a depth role, being against NHL players, having to find a way to make things work that, that. Be, that adaptability is going to be important later in a player's career. But for, for him in particular, he was a guy that always had the puck that was always going to make things happen. And then when he didn't have it, he didn't know what to do. And so that's the, other, it was on him to learn how to be, how to play without the puck and how to play in that. So, so it, it goes both ways, I think, but I don't think that if you have to strain to put a player into the top six, you're not doing him any favors because he's probably not ready for that kind of role. And you're also not doing your team any favors. And you have the 20 other guys that you got to look at and say, okay, this guy's not cutting it, but you got to play on the third line like that. It, it It's a good way to lose a team. And it's a good way to, to, to create a little bit of resentment towards the young player that's supposed to be your future. So I think it's a very difficult position that co- coaches are in with players like this. And it's why I think that we need to find a happy medium for those kind of exceptional players that may need a little bit more nurturing, but aren't going to be able to get that at the NHL level and maybe beyond junior hockey. So I, I don't know if we'll ever see that day, but I feel like Lafreniere is one of the premier examples of why that maybe should be a possibility. All right, Chris, thank you so much. It's going to be a really interesting second half to watch with him. I agree with you. It's way too early to to be giving up on a guy like that, still only 21 years old. But I think there's definitely a level of frustration going on right now, both with player and organization, and we'll see how it plays out. So thanks again. Really appreciate all the great insight. Definitely check him out at flowhockey.tv, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, buddy. Thanks for having me. And we're back. Big thanks to Chris 
for taking some time to come on the show. Really glad we were able to make it happen after what I know was a really busy few weeks for him with the World Juniors. I think the World Juniors and the draft are probably the two busiest times of the year for him. So really appreciate him coming on the show and glad we were able to get to a lot of those young players. And, you know, Othman again is the headliner, but a lot of those other guys that we we mentioned, I think, had pretty good tournaments and opened some eyes. So it definitely felt like a positive overall showing for the Rangers prospects where going in, people maybe expected Othman to be the only guy who played a pretty decent role and and made a really big impact for his team. But there ended up being, I guess you probably could say four different guys that are Rangers prospects that performed well and probably boosted their stock at least a little bit at that World Junior Tournament. So interesting stuff from Chris. And now we will get to some of the Twitter questions from this week. And we will start with Davey Upper, one of the most active Rangers Twitter users, I would say, and a guy who's always pumping out cool videos and stuff like that. So shout out to Davey. And his question is, will Adam Fox win another Norris this year? And I think this is a really relevant or increasingly relevant topic right now because Adam Fox, I mentioned at the beginning of the show that I listed him as the Rangers team MVP at the halfway point of the season. I think it's pretty hard to dispute that. I I know some of the stats that I rattled off in there if you look at all these different categories. I mean, one of the things that impressed me the most is his consistency because I think a lot of guys in the team you could point to, even Igor Shosturkin got off to a slower start than I know he would have liked. He he certainly picked things up in the last few weeks and, and he remains, as I wrote, the team's most important player. As Igor goes, so will this team. But Fox's consistency has just been so, so important for this team. I think it's 29 out of 42 games now. He has registered at least one point. So that speaks to his consistency. Then you look at the least amount of shots allowed among the defensemen on the team. He ranks number one. The lowest expected goals against. He ranks number one. You look at expected goal percentage overall, number one on the team, including all forwards. Corsi, number one on the team, including all forwards. Shot share, he's second on the team, I believe, at the time that I wrote that. The Rangers, while he is on the ice, are outscoring teams by like a 65% margin. Just all these different categories where he is easily the most consistent player, easily at the top of the list in almost all of them. And Maybe it's some recency bias, but you look at what he did in that game Tuesday against the Minnesota Wild, not only making the typical passing plays that you're used to from him where he's setting up teammates, and I know he had an assist and made a great play on the what ended up being the game-tying goal from Philip Heedle left uh, later in the game with like six and a half minutes left or something like that, but... The way that he was shooting the puck much more aggressively than we've seen in the past. He finished the game with 11 shot attempts. Six of those shots went on goal. He scored a goal off the rush when everybody in the building, I think, thought he was going to make the cross-ice pass to Vincent Trocek. They had a two-on-one going, and Fox decided to keep the puck, which surprised everybody, I think, including Marc-Andre Fleury, the Minnesota Wild goalie. 
So Fox was shooting the puck aggressively, which I know Gerard Gallant was really happy to see, and, and just making the defensive plays that we almost take for granted with him. They're not always the flashiest, but he really, if you look at the numbers, gives up so little when he is on the ice defensively. He has become such a sound player. He creates turnovers. He makes really smart decisions as far as when to attack, when to make a poke check, when there's an opportunity to strip the puck from the opponent. He's so savvy and so good at that. But the even the littler things like his positioning and the opportunities that the opposition is able to get when he's on the ice, he just really does a good job of limiting mistakes, shutting things down. You give Ryan Lindgren some credit for that stuff as well. But Fox has become such a sound defensive player, and it's just funny to think back to when he first came into the league, and that was the thing that everybody was wondering about, was how good defensively is this guy going to be at the NHL level? Well, he has definitely quieted those doubters. He played over 28 minutes in that game. He's averaging, I believe, over 25 minutes per game now in the season, which is by far the highest total on the Rangers. It's like almost three minutes more than the next highest guy. So they're using him in all situations. He's been so valuable for the team. And clearly, again, the team MVP. But as Davey points out, you have to start wondering now, where does he rank in the entire league as far as this Norris Trophy conversation is is concerned? He won the award two years ago. Could he make it two Norris trophies in three years. And honestly, if I had to vote today, I would have to give him serious, serious consideration. You look at the points, and that's, I think, especially a lot of the old school type of voters, that's the first thing that they're going to look at. Eric Carlson right now, at the time of this recording, leads all NHL defensemen with 55 points. He is having a renaissance year. He's having an outstanding year. A lot of people would probably view him as the leader of the pack. He's got 55 points right now. The next closest guy is 46. A couple players are tied there. So Carlson, nine points above anybody else as far as defensemen are concerned. I think he would probably be Fox's biggest competition right now. He's got 55 points. Fox has 42. Fox is averaging exactly a point per game up to this point. So... Definitely a resurgent year from Eric Carlson, who I think is mid to late 30s now. I want to say like 35, 36. So impressive season from him, no doubt. I also think Rasmus Dahlin, number one overall pick a few years ago for the Buffalo Sabres. He's second right now or tied for second right now among all NHL defensemen in points and has become such a good overall player. Definitely one of the young stars in the league right now. So I think top three, as far as what I would anticipate the voting being, would be Carlson, Fox, and him. You can kind of debate the order. But if you look at some of the more advanced stuff, Fox has an edge over both of those guys right now, as far as expected goal rates, shot share, all that kind of stuff. Fox, last time I had looked, was in the top 10 in the league for expected goals rates among all defensemen. Now, the guy, every time I look at the analytics who jumps out to me, is Hampus Lindholm from the Boston Bruins. It's amazing to think that they have this guy and Charlie McAvoy on the same team. McAvoy was a top five guy for me on my ballot last year. Lindholm is having a a tremendous year. 
I know, at least again, as far as a lot of the analytics are concerned, he's at the top of a lot of these different lists that you look at. So Lindholm is a sleeper. I think he'll get a lot of love from the analytics community. So those are the four names that would come to mind for me right now. Kale McCarr, last year's winner, I think Fox has clearly had a better season than him so far. He has more points than him, and, and all the metrics look better for Fox. So to me, I think there's a really strong argument that Fox should be the guy. Again, I think Carlson is going to get a lot of love from the voters. I, I would look at him and Fox as one, two right now, but he's right there in the mix, no doubt about it. And if he can keep this pace going, I mean, shoot, if he plays the way that he did Tuesday night, for a lot of the second half of the season, it's going to be hard to deny him. But even just the way that he played for most of the first half of the season, I absolutely think Fox will be in that conversation again. And man, what a fine for the Rangers. Not really a fine. Obviously, we know he wanted to come to the Rangers and kind of forced the Calgary Flames hand a little bit. But to have a guy like that fall into your lap, that has been a huge, huge addition for the Rangers in the last few years. And it's no fluke. He was outstanding as a rookie. He was really, really outstanding in his second season. Last year was was a strong season for him, not quite at the level of that second year when he won the Norris Trophy. But right now in year four, Adam Fox looks like he is taking off again, maybe even you could say taking it to another level. So Fox in the Norris Trophy conversation, no doubt about it. Will he win? To be determined, but he's definitely on my radar right now, no doubt about it. All right, let's get to our next question, which comes from Paul, who asks, what's more likely, Keandre Miller has an explosive second half and hits 50 points, or Capo Caco's luck changes and he hits 25 goals? Interesting one there. I have gone on record multiple times now saying that I think Kako is going to have a productive second half as long as they keep him in that top line spot with Zabanajad and Kreider or Andor Lafreniere. I guess we'll see, but we have to, as I said in the first segment, expect that Kreider will get his job back once he's healthy. Kako right now, I'm trying to, I think he has nine goals right now. I want to double check this, but I'm pretty sure he has nine goals right now. So to get to 25, He would need 16 goals in the final 40 games. That, to me, feels like a stretch. I I think 20 is very reasonable. So, you know, I guess if I'm saying I think he can do 20, how far off is 25? My guess is that he'll end up around 20, maybe in the low 20s. 25, I think, might be a little bit of a stretch. But I do expect that as far as the point total goes and the goal total goes, He's going to have a better second half as long as he stays healthy than he did in the first half. I just think that he's looked so impressive to me recently. And I've talked to you guys about this before. For him, I think more than a lot of other players at that age, although confidence is important for all of them, but for him, I think the confidence that he gets and the boost that he gets from playing in that top line spot. And I've had multiple conversations with him about this. It is it's tangible. It's palpable. It's it's something that is so obvious if you spend a few minutes talking to this guy, the way that he lights up about how much he loves playing in that spot and how much he thinks it makes him a better player, that if you keep him there and, and you look at the way that he's he's just dominant on the puck recently, the way that he is able to float around in the offensive zone and weave through defenders and 
fight through poke checks, fight through checks, fight through all kinds of stuff to keep the puck on his stick and find a way to make a play. It has been so impressive to me. Now, there are times where maybe that confidence leads to a little bit of overconfidence and you see him maybe floating up a little too close to the blue line and putting himself in a vulnerable position where if he does lose the puck, it can very easily create a chance going the other way. So that's something that I've noticed where sometimes it feels like he holds it a little bit too long. But again, for the most part, the way that he's able to control the puck down low for the Rangers and sustain these long possessions for them and work so well, it looks to me off of Kreider and Zabanajad, I feel like things are really trending in the right direction for Capo Caco right now. But Keandre Miller, and I sat with it. It's he, This is very fresh on my mind because I sat with him in his locker for five, 10 minutes after practice today. And I mentioned that I'm working on a story about him. He feels like he is really hitting his stride. Now, I asked him about this because preseason Everybody was buzzing about him. He looked so good in training camp. I spoke to multiple teammates who were raving about him and and saying that they thought this was going to be a breakout season for him. I know I wrote that in the preseason. I remember specifically Ryan Reeves telling me that Keandre was going to be a top 15 defenseman in the entire league by the end of the season. That was a bold prediction from Ryan Reeves. He didn't quite meet that level at the beginning of the season. We know him and Jacob Truba as a pair were having their struggles, and we talked about this. And he he admitted it today that he was not happy about how many goals that they were giving up and did not feel that he was playing great in the early portion of the season. But he doesn't look at it like all of a sudden the light switched on or there was one game or one moment where where things clicked for him. He said it's been a steady evolution, and he really, truly feels that every day, every game, he's a little bit better than he was the previous day. And right now, he's stacking these good performances, one on top of another. And the plays that he made in that game on Tuesday were outstanding. I mean, we've talked before about his skating and his reach And that giving him the ability defensively to when it looks like maybe he's beat or when it looks like maybe the Rangers are going to give up an odd man rush or in a vulnerable position, how he can just skate back and make a play. That is so, so impressive. But his confidence now as well, jumping into the rush offensively, just making plays all over the ice. And and the way that he was able to convert that breakaway goal the other night, it looked easy when you were watching it. But he starts that play. Jimmy Vesey makes a poke check to push the puck away from, I think it was Matt Boldy. And the puck starts sliding towards center ice. There are two wild players that are closer to the puck than Miller. All of a sudden, though, Miller, with just a couple of those long strides, splits them, gets in between them, beats them to the puck. And before you know it, he's at the goal and he's finishing a breakaway. So it looks like he's not really skating that fast because all it takes is a couple of those long strides for him to get there. But he beat two players that were closer to the puck to that loose puck. And the next thing you know, he's behind them and he's got an opportunity for an easy finish. And again, in those situations, he seems to convert. Like this guy's got skill where... When he does have the puck on his stick and an opportunity to score, 
a lot of times he's going to convert that opportunity. I would almost be curious to see him in some shootout situations because I feel like he has a few mu- he has a few, uh, few moves up his sleeve. So Miller to me is a guy that the last few weeks has been trending straight up. And I think a lot of those preseason predictions about how good he can be, it's coming to fruition now. And we also talked about the contract stuff. He was very open and honest about that. And he said, look, I know this is a big year for me. This is a chance for me to set myself up, set my family up. This is a chance for me to, for you know, lack of a better term, make himself some money, get paid. So he knows that that's there. Maybe there was a little pressure to that in the beginning of the season, but he, he sounded like it's almost more of a motivational thing for him than it is a burden or a pressure point right now. So we talked about that as well. You'll read about that more in my story on Thursday. But yeah, Miller to me feels like he is very much poised for a big second half as well. He's currently at 21 points, but he's riding a four-game point streak. I think him getting to, what was the number that you listed here, Paul, 50 points? It's it's within reach. I think something in the 40s is absolutely going to happen. I mean, you, you look at both of those things, him hitting 50 or Kako hitting 25 goals. I honestly think they'll both maybe come up a little bit short of that. But I think they're both going to get close. And for me, Miller, when you talk about an explosive second half, I would very much be in the camp that believes that that's going to happen. I feel like he has been awesome for the Rangers recently. That confidence is booming right now. And when you add that kind of confidence and the experience that he's getting, where he's kind of learning situations and and how to attack different situations – on top of all of the physical talent that he has, which is immense, Miller, I think, I guess if I'm picking one of those, I would probably go with Miller. Miller, to me, I think has been playing really, really well. And I think the second half, especially as he keeps pushing to get himself as much as he possibly can with that next contract, I think some good things are coming from him for sure. All right, final question here comes from Jack, who wrote, Seems like a lot of fans are sick of Gallant and his tendencies, let's say. Is this reflected with the players too, or has this just been a fan external issue? Well, Jack, I definitely think that the fans make more of it than the players do. I mean, that probably goes without saying. Obviously, the players aren't going to be trashing their own coach for the most part. I do also still, and I want to definitely preface with this, think that a lot of the players enjoy playing for him. We've talked about the reasons before why, how hands-off he is, how he lets them police themselves, how he lets them be them. He's not a micromanager. I think a lot of them like him personally. He's a pretty easy guy to get along with and easygoing for the most part. Doesn't ride them too hard after a bad game. I mean, you'll see him sometimes in a post-game setting come out with some harsh words, but he picks his spots to do that. It's certainly not after every loss. He protects them very much in the media, as we've talked about before. And I think a lot of times, even when he is angry after a loss, the next day he kind of lets it roll off of his shoulders and he's not necessarily making them do extra work or extra film work or or that kind of thing. So I think all those things add up to a pretty player-friendly coach. And I do think that personally, a lot of the guys like him, but When you talk about his tendencies, and I know a lot of the things that you're talking about, specifically the constant line shakeups, I do get the sense, and I've talked about this before, 
that does wear thin on the players. You see a little bit of a, when you ask a guy about, hey, you're playing with this line now, how does that feel? Where they're just like kind of shrugging and like, well, it's probably not going to last that long. They almost seem a little defeated with that process. And I've had multiple guys tell me, some of them in you know comments where I'm going to use the quote, some of them in more private conversations, that it does get a little old and they would feel more comfortable if they had more consistency, if they knew who they were going to play with. And I think a lot of them would certainly appreciate less of the line juggling, which I think Gallant has been a little more conscious about in the last week or so. He's pretty much had the same lines for five or six games in a row now, which for a while that was not happening at all. It was a new lineup pretty much every game. I think he is really trying to heed that message and stop juggling quite as much as he has been because I do think that that's an act that wears thin on the players and can be a little frustrating for them. And and we've talked about the young players in particular. I think a guy like Kako, who we just talked about, He was open about, hey, I felt I was playing the best hockey I've ever played when I was on the top line, and I don't feel as good when I'm down on the third line. So it does seem, in Kako's case, like eventually, after a month or two of being away from Zabanajad and Kreider, that Gallant got that message, and eventually he gave him another chance there. So it's this give and take. But yes, I do sense, to some degree, a certain level of kind of, like I said, rolling your eyes and shrugging a little bit with all the line changes from the players. And I see there's another question here that that touched on the same topic and was asking specifically about Artemi Panarin's comments after the game on Tuesday when, now I have to say, he was joking. He was clearly trying to get a laugh out of us when he said this, but he said, you know, I know Turk doesn't like when we play that open ice skilled brand of hockey, but it worked tonight he's definitely having a little fun with him. Like, this is the kind of thing I'm telling you from from knowing Artemi, that he's going to joke around with Gallant about that on the ice at practice, too. This isn't like a message he's trying to send through the media, necessarily. But I do think that there is some truth to Gallant always wanting guys to be risk-averse and play that north-south game and chip pucks in and get pucks deep and play safe hockey that guys like Panarin, who that's not necessarily their game, I do think there's a little bit of this tug of war going on where Panarin feels like he has to try to fit the system. He wants to be a good team player. He wants to do what his coach is asking, but that may take away from his individual game in a lot of situations. So that is a balancing act, I feel like, between the players and him as well. Like, Is he oversimplifying? Is he not allowing guys like Panarin or some of the young skill guys to completely open up and flourish by constantly asking guys to chip pucks and get pucks deep and and those cliche things? There could be some element of truth to that as well. I think, again, it's not necessarily a point of frustration for the players as much as it is a complication where they're trying to balance things. They're trying to do what their coach wants but they're also trying to do what makes them great players, especially in, in the case of a guy like Panarin. So I think that there is some truth to what you're saying here, Jack. The tendencies, is there maybe some confusion or even frustration at times with the players? I think the answer to that would be yes. But do I think it's to the level that you're going to read with fans on Twitter? Absolutely not. But, you know, that's why that's why we're fa- That's why you guys are fans. That's why... 
sports can be fun in a lot of ways because if you guys are passionate about this topic and you want to go and vent on Twitter, it's all part of it. It comes with the territory. Now, sometimes do some people take it too far? Of course. Sometimes do I poke back? Either way, of course. But I'm also going to tell you guys how it is. I'm going to try to be real with you guys. And I think I've been pretty upfront in a lot of situations this year where I feel like Gallant has made missteps or Gallant has juggled the lines too much or Gallant has tried to fit too many guys into a cookie cutter mold when maybe that's not the best path for them. I think I've been pretty open about that. And a lot of that comes from what I hear and what I see from the players in the locker room at practice and that sort of thing. So yeah, there's definitely some element of truth to that, Jack, but I think everything that you read whether it's social media or wherever from fans, tends to be a little more reactionary, tends to be a little more over the top than, than what the truth is behind the scenes. So that's how I would sum that one up. And with that, we're going to sum up this week's episode. So that will do it. I hope everybody enjoyed it. Definitely thank you again to Chris Peters. Hope you guys enjoyed hearing a little bit from the World Juniors and Chris's coverage of that. I will be back next week with another episode the Rangers playing this Tuesday-Thursday schedule has been working out pretty well because that gives me an opportunity to always record on Wednesday, which you know is our preference. So I'll be back again next Thursday with a new episode. Until then, take care, everyone. I appreciate each and every one of you. Thank you for listening every week, and we will talk to you again next week.